Good afternoon, everyone, and good to be with you here today. Uh, I want to add my welcome to that of Phil earlier on in the service. Uh, really good uh, to join with you this afternoon for your carol service. If you don't know me, and uh, most of you don't, my name's Ed Hamilton, and I'm the pastor of a church just up the road in York, and uh, it's been lovely to get to know Phil over the last couple of years, and also um, Helen and David, who uh, we've known as a family for many years. Uh, but it's great finally to, to make it down here uh, to Boston's Park to meet with you. Uh, I've brought along my wife, Laura, and my uh, three children, uh, Katie, Tommy, and Emily here. So uh, we look forward to meeting you and getting to know you a bit more later on. Uh, well, as a family, uh, we absolutely love Christmas, and it's just a week away now, isn't it? The excitement is building, the, the preparation is lagging somewhat behind at the moment. Uh, and I'm sure, like me, your heads are just full, aren't they? With, with those things that you need to do, the to-do list is growing, isn't it? Things you need to do in the next week. And uh, it's just a special moment now, isn't it? Just on this Sunday afternoon, just to, uh, to step away, just have a moment of peace to reflect uh, within this season of busyness and to focus in on that real meaning of Christmas. So thank you uh, again for the invitation to be here. Thank you for the, the readers and people involved today. And uh, thank you, you to, uh, for you being here with us today to join in this service, uh, especially if you're not someone who normally comes here on a Sunday afternoon. If you are visiting, then uh, I hope you feel very uh, warm welcome, as I do as well. It's wonderful to be here together. Uh, well, I'm going to spend the next few minutes, uh, not too long, but just reflecting on uh, the reading that we've just had, or readings we've just had from Matthew chapter 2 and also from Isaiah 53, and in particular I want to just zoom in on verse 11 in that uh, reading we had from Matthew. I'll uh, just read it again to you. It says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's a story that's told by Tony Blair from back in 1995, shortly after he had become the leader of the Labour Party. And he'd been invited to the Netherlands, where he was attending several functions with dignitaries from across Europe. And at one of these functions, he began speaking with a slightly older lady who was uh, possibly in her 50s at the time, um, and uh, he was having this conversation with her. And um, she asked him, well, who are you? And what are you here? What's, what's the role that you can carry? And he took great pride in that moment, telling her that he was no less than Tony Blair, and he was the leader of the British Labour Party, and very likely the next Prime Minister of Great Britain. And after a while, he said, well, anyway, enough about me. What about yourself? And she replied, well, my name is Beatrix, and, and I'm the Queen. <laughs> and that changes the conversation, doesn't it? And the, the story of the first Christmas changes the conversation for us all. Because the first Christmas dramatically changes the situation, doesn't it? It confronts us with life-altering news and life-altering questions. One of the famous songs that we sing this time of year says, he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. 
and with the poor and meek and lowly lived on earth, our Saviour holy. Those are words from uh, a well-known traditional Christmas carol, but they are life-changing words, aren't they? Because if they're true, then they just change everything, don't they? They echo the claim of the Bible that the baby boy in the manger in Bethlehem is sent to us as a gift from heaven. So that's what Christmas is all about. The extraordinary claim is that the baby is God, and that in this baby, God came to live with people like you and people like me, so that he could be our rescuing saviour. It changes that conversation, doesn't it? And answers two big questions. And here they are. The first one is, do you recognise who the baby is? And secondly, what are you going to do about it? So what we're going to do over the next few minutes is just to look how the wise men in this story answer those questions. So firstly, the wise men recognised who Jesus is. The Bible reading we just had earlier it has these people that, that come from afar and come to see the baby Jesus. And there's lots of uh, people, uh, lots of sources, sorry, outside of the Bible which talk about who these men might have been and where exactly they came from and what their names were. And there's further speculation about, well, the star and what kind of astronomical events are going on at that time which might explain what they saw in the sky. But as far as the Bible is concerned, we're given very little information because the focus isn't really on them, is it? The focus is on the baby or the infant. Just like that canopy party in Amsterdam those years ago, when the Queen walks in, it no longer matters who else is in that room. And here we see when the king arrives, the credentials of everyone else just pales into insignificance. But here's what we told some men have followed a star and it led them to Jesus. And they came with gifts and they brought symbolic gifts which showed that they recognized who Jesus is. And as we know, the first gift that they brought was gold. It's a sign that this infant, however old he is at the time, and many people think he was probably a toddler or maybe even slightly older, but it showed that he was more than just an ordinary human infant. They recognised that he was a king, and they recognised that he was divine. It wasn't just that they, they tried to find something expensive like you might do for, you know, that relative who always gets you something good. You think, well, let's, let's try and return the favour. No, they brought him a gift which acknowledged who he is. The divine king of heaven sent into the world. Now, a few uh, months ago, my, my wife, Laura, who's here with me tonight, uh, she started training as a teacher She's just about to finish her first term uh, as a training teacher, and she um, she received a gift from her sister when she started training. I'm brought it with me here. Yeah. It's uh, it's this bag that she received, and um, hopefully you can you can see it there. But it says Mrs. Hamilton's essential teacher stuff, and there's a little asterisk, and it says biscuits down there. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Hamilton's biscuits. I know, yeah. Uh, maybe some later. Uh, essential teacher stuff from Mrs. Hamilton. It's a, a gift, isn't it? But it, it's more than just a, a gift that is useful. It's a gift that tells you about who's receiving it 
and what they are here to do. This is a gift from Mrs. Hamburger, and she is a teacher. It's about the identity and the role. And that's what happens with these gifts that we see that are brought to Jesus. The first gift of gold is a recognition of who Jesus is. He's the king from heaven, and he is God. And the next two gifts, they show that the wise men recognised what it was that Jesus came to do. We can get our heads around gold, can't we? We kind of know what gold is about. We understand the symbolism of, of having something that's gold. We think of that, that golden character often gets wheeled out for state occasions. We know that royalty is coming. But what about the frankincense and the myrrh? They're things that we don't particularly come across in our day-to-day -day lives. Well, let's start with the frankincense. The frankincense was associated with the worship of God in the temple. It's something that would be burned up, uh, resulting in this strong and beautiful fragrance. A fragrance which the Bible says is pleasing to God. <coughs> so if the gold signified Jesus and his role as king, then the frankincense, on the other hand, signifies his role as being a priest. It's recognising that Jesus comes not just as a king, but as a priest too. His role on earth will be to live a life of complete holiness and righteousness. And what that means is living a life that is set apart for God, making an offering to God which God would find pleasing because it would carry this beautiful fragrance of righteousness with it. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a, a very good sense of smell, uh, but there are still smells which, which reach me and fill me with pleasure. And Christmas is just, it's one of those times of the year that's just full of good smells, isn't it? Uh, we've got a, a slow cooker at home and we, we filled it with mulled wine the other day and then oranges and cloves and all the rest of it. And before long, as you can imagine, this, this wonderful aroma fills the house, doesn't it? The aroma fills the house and it reaches and it fills us with good pleasure. What this frankincense signifies is that Jesus is the aroma of that first Christmas. And he fills God with pleasure because the fragrance of his life and his righteousness and his offering reaches God and it fills God with immense pleasure, immense satisfaction. <coughs> and the wise men recognise that yes, Jesus was the ultimate king, but also the ultimate priest, and that his offering would bring God the ultimate pleasure. And then we turn to the nerve. Again, it's not a regular household item, is it? So what is the myrrh all about? Well, the myrrh is there because it signifies the death of Jesus. It signifies the death of Jesus. Myrrh was a spice that was used in the embalming of, of dead bodies. It's not the usual gift that you bring along to a baby shower, is it? But it shows that the wise men recognise what Jesus came to do. He came into the world as God and as King and as Priest. But the sacrifice that he would offer up to God wouldn't be like the sacrifices in the Old Testament when day after day the priests had to stand there offering an unending procession of different sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. No, Jesus would be a different priest. He's God and he's King who, as the ultimate priest, offers himself as a sacrifice to end all 
second reader we had just earlier uh, was um, the Isaiah 53, uh, another famous verse from the, uh, from the Old Testament. And in those verses we read that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity, that he took our punishment on himself so that we could have peace with God. And those verses along with the myrrh, they are talking about the same event, that Jesus would go to the cross, offer up himself in death so that we might live and have peace with God. So this wonderful aroma, this pleasing fragrance that Jesus would offer to God, wouldn't be just the, the smell of burning incense. No, the pleasing aroma he would offer God would be his own life. His own perfect, righteous, spotless life given to God to pay for sins so that we might be restored into that relationship with God. That's the, the message of Christmas, that Jesus comes to bring us back into relationship with God. And the wise men recognised this, didn't they? That Jesus would rescue his people through his death, dying in the place of people as a sacrifice for sin. The message of these gifts is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. Jesus is Priest. And Jesus rescues his people. One of my uh, favourite novels is uh, the, the novel by Victor Hugo, Les Miserables, and I, I really enjoyed the film that, that came out a few years ago. And there's a really a poignant scene towards the end of that film uh, where Marius, who's one of the, the revolutionary students, uh, he's due to be arrested and taken away by the authorities for his role in an insurrection and uprising against the government and the authorities. But when these authorities arrive to arrest him, instead of, of shackling him, they, they go to his father-in-law, to Jean Valjean, and they take him away so that he could receive Marius's punishment. And Marius is there and he can't believe it and he protests and he says, you can't do that, I am the guilty one. He's innocent. And Valjean responds with these words, it's okay, I've made an arrangement. I don't mind paying. The message of Christmas is this, that the divine king came into the world to rescue us from our sin by offering himself as a sacrifice. Because there was an eternal arrangement that had been made that even though he was innocent of all wrongdoing, he would make payment for our sin and take the punishment that we deserve. And when we strip away the tinsel and the baubles and the music and the tree, Here's what we find, that Christmas is a rescue mission which is planned and executed by the King of Heaven. One of the famous Christmas stories is The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, isn't it? And now I'm sure you know it, but at the start of that story, the ghost Jacob Marley arrives, doesn't he? Um, he comes to Ebenezer Scrooge and comes to warn him about his life. And, this ghost appears carrying chains of all the wrong things that he's done. It's a powerful picture of the sin that we can carry. Every thought and deed and every comment that is spoken in anger, convicting us of our guilt. 
And the Christmas message is one of great hope for people like that. Jesus, the King of Heaven, came into the world to set us free from guilt and sin. And this Christmas, if you are still carrying those chains, then come to Jesus. This Christmas, perhaps for the first time, will you recognise who Jesus is and what he came to do? So finally, the wise men recognised what this meant for them. Let's read those opening words of verse 11 again. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. We heard at the beginning, didn't we, that the, the presence of royalty changes the conversation for us, but with no disrespect meant at all to Queen Beatrix of, of the Netherlands, being in the presence of the King of Heaven changes things by an order of magnitude. But the wise men, they, they recognised that Jesus coming into the world was the definitive turning point of human history. They recognised who this child was, what his role would be, and that the only way that they could respond to him was by bowing before him and bringing their worship to him. And there's another king in that story, isn't there? There's King Herod who, who rejects that king in order to try and retain his own kingship. But the wise response, these wise men, they recognise Jesus, recognise what he came to do, and they worshipped him as their Lord and Saviour. And that's what we are going to do now. We're going to praise Jesus because he is the king who rescues his people. We're going to close by standing and singing our final carol today, Heart of the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the King.